But being with God doesn't necessarily mean he prevents trouble. Rather, it means he is present with us in it. I need a place of safety because I am not safe and I cannot fix it on my own. The thing that is most stable in your life is collapsing into the thing that is most unstable in your life. And Jesus comes and says, be still. Well, good morning. Welcome to Campus House. My name's Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. Congratulations for uh, finishing finals to those of you who've been finishing up your finals. Congratulations to those of you who are graduating today, uh, later today. Welcome to your families, if your families are here with you today. We're glad that you've joined us this morning, um, and we welcome you here. I've got to tell you that uh, in the middle of this week, I was talking to Rob. He's our senior pastor, our lead pastor, and I told him, Rob, I'm not really sure I want to preach on Sunday. I really enjoy my job. I like what I get to do. I enjoy preaching, but this has been one of the hardest weeks of my life. And I said, I don't think I can do it. But as we talked, it was also very clear to me that God was ministering to me, particularly through Psalm 46. And so that has become the sermon. That wasn't going to be the sermon, but it is. That's the sermon for today. Psalm 46. And I think and I hope and I pray that it will address us where we are. For many of us, this is a great time of year. It's exciting for some things to be done, to go visit family, to go back home, uh, to go into the next stage if you're graduating or transitioning. But for also, for many of us, it's a really hard time. We experience and remember our greatest losses, especially during the Christmas season. And so this psalm, Psalm 46, uh, addresses us right there, giving us powerful imagery that depicts really why, why Christians can have great confidence and great courage, even in times of great chaos or great crisis uh, or great insecurity. And when we face the insecurities of our lives, it's telling us that we have a source of security that won't fail. It's telling us this psalm is depicting God as a powerful defender, a powerful protector. It says he is with us. He is with us. He is with his people defending and protecting even in the worst of times, like finals week for some of you. But Psalm 46, verse 1 to 11 is what we're going to read this morning. And we're going to see that this is a depiction of God with us even in the worst of times. Psalm 46, towards the middle of your Bible, if you're new to the Bible. Here's what it says in Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalm is telling us about this fundamental reality that's in the Bible, all throughout the Bible. You saw twice, God is with us, verse 7 and verse 11. It's a song that's to be sung in worship, and the chorus of the song is, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. That happens a couple times. The Lord of hosts is with us. And then even in uh, verse, verse 4, or sorry, verse 5, it's talking about the city of God. And it says, God is in the midst of her. That's the same as still saying, God is with her. God is with his people is the theme of this psalm. And the people would have sung this. The people of Israel would have sung this in worship. You know, God has a particular name associated with his withness, his being with his people. And the name is Emmanuel. We especially think of this name, this reality at Christmas time, uh, because of what Ken was reading earlier. In, the, uh, in Matthew chapter 1. We also sang a song. The last song we sang was, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that's because the word Emmanuel in the Bible, it's associated with Christmas because it means God with us in Hebrew. Christmas is this celebration of God fulfilling his promises to be with us. And so the Old Testament prophet Isaiah announced that one day a baby would be born who was more than merely a human baby. He would be God with us. He would be Emmanuel. That would be his name, Jesus, Emmanuel. It wasn't that God wasn't with his people before. It's not that God had neglected them all through the Old Testament until the New Testament. He used covenants Leaders, clouds, fire, rocks, mountains, warriors, arks, tents, temples, land, laws, prophets, priests, and kings, all as ways to demonstrate symbolically that he was present with his people. All the time he was seeking to show that he is a faithful presence to those who know him. But Christmas is the culmination of that story. It is the high mark of all the symbols where the symbols give way to the reality. God isn't with us only in symbol, only in metaphor. He is truly with us in person. That's the story of Christmas. That's really the story of the Bible that culminates in the story of Christmas. And that is a promise that God kept so that Jesus came to earth as a baby at Christmas. He was sent to the cross to die at Easter he sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts at Pentecost. He came to be with us in the most personal of ways, fully human, fully taking on our suffering, on, on sin, on darkness, and then becoming fully present with us, even in our hearts. The Spirit comes, he says, to dwell within us. 
This is why Christians believe that the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world, is the culmination of all the ways that God previously revealed Himself to be with His people. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that is not just an abstract idea. It's not just a doctrine to be taught in a classroom. It's intended to be applied. It is applied to our lives. In fact, if you're a Christian, whether you've ever heard the word Emmanuel or the word incarnation before, if you know God, you actually are living in this reality whether you know the words or not. It's already where you are. But the words help us understand even more our new reality in knowing the Son of God who incarnated, who became God with us, who is Emmanuel. And in Psalm 46, the sons of Korah, that's who wrote this. It says, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, means they wrote it. The sons of Korah, they are some worship leaders throughout the Old Testament. They helped the people of Israel worship. They wrote this psalm for the people of God to use in worship to tell us about the doctrine of Emmanuel, God with us. But they don't just tell us about the doctrine, right? They, this is a song. It's not just a simple teaching listing the facts. But they are applying Emmanuel to our insecurities. That's what the psalm is about. They are applying God with us, Emmanuel, to our insecurities. The doctrine of the incarnation is applied to human insecurity. The psalm applies not just, though, to any insecurity. We're not talking about feeling a little self-conscious about, you know, your new haircut or wishing you were a little less shy or maybe a little taller. We're not talking about that insecurity. We're, we're talking about a much bigger, much more epic insecurity, really. We're told in the psalm that God is with us, that he is the great solution to our great insecurities. The earth-shaking, heart-trembling, terror-inducing insecurities that arise when your life seems like it's falling apart. When the worst might happen. When you thought that you were on your way to something more stable, more secure, and then a crisis threatens to collapse even the most stable parts of your life. When some potential circumstance could overwhelm you, cause you to believe that all your greatest fears and insecurities are about to come true, Psalm 46 says, even then, even then, there's a reason to be confident, to take courage, to discover that there are actually abundant resources of peace and joy even then, in our darkest hour, in the most dreadful moments, in the circumstances that seem to threaten to collapse our lives to the ground, when you and I are most likely to become paralyzed with fear, it's the exact same time that it tells us to take hold of courage and confidence that God is with us. But how? How exactly does that work? That sounds great. It seems like a good idea. I hope, you know, we hope that might be true. But how? How do the psalm writers, how do the sons of Korah teach us to apply Emmanuel, God with us, to our insecurity? Well, first, they spend a significant bit of time explaining, describing our insecurity. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to describe what insecurity really is. We're going to describe what our security is by looking at God with us. But then we're going to say, well, how do we actually get that security? How do we get to God with us? So first, We've got to consider the depths of our own insecurities. The great circumstance that's being described here is our great insecurity in life. Verse 4, we see the city of God. 
It says, the city of God, the place where God dwells with his people. The city of God in the Old Testament is Jerusalem, where Mount Zion is located, the place of worship for the Israelite people. And so God was considered in their city. The temple was one of the symbols of his presence. And in the city, there's God with his chosen people, the people of Zion. And the psalm is celebrating God's presence with the people in the city of God, a theme that's throughout the Bible. God has a, a people and a place that he's dwelling with them. And this is where it's going, to the city of God. And he was at the center of the city in order to be representative of being the center of their lives. The temple was in the center of the city. But he wasn't just the center of their lives. He was the center of their salvation. He had saved them multiple times out of incredible disaster and had given them a place, a city to live and to dwell in. And in the ancient world, unlike today, maybe everybody had a god. Everybody had multiple gods, and depending on what religion or ethnicity you were. But everyone had gods that they viewed as protectors and providers, so long as you pleased the gods. But the God of Israel was different. The people of Israel hadn't won God's favor. Rather, he had chosen to give them his favor. They knew that they were a people chosen by grace, not by their own strivings. Everything had become a gift, and they knew it. Those who really knew him knew that they dwelled in the city of God because it was a gift, but they also knew, the true people among them knew, that being in the city of God did not mean that even though they'd entrusted their lives to God, that everything would go well for them all the time. They understood that all things still happen to believers. There's a pretty prominent verse in the New Testament as well, Romans 8, 28, that says, And God works everything for good, all things for good to those who are His. Paul also calls Christians ambassadors for God, meaning the people of God were always in their city, in their place, wherever you live now. You're a representative of God in a way. You're basically declaring that he has come to make a peace treaty with the people of earth. His presence is our peace. That he has himself, through Christ, taken on the penalty and the power of sin and put it to death. But being ambassadors in this regard doesn't give us diplomatic immunity. We still live in a place that has struggle and sin and terrifying things in the world. In fact, um, sometimes being a believer means not being taken out of harm's way, but being put in it. God's enemy, especially Satan, likes to tempt and to test believers to see if their faith is real and if he can entice them away from really trusting in the Lord. God's enemies, people who hate the Lord, also test or persecute or hate others, as many of our brothers and sisters all around the world know firsthand far better than we do. They are persecuted for their faith. The promise we're given in the New Testament is that all things work together for good for those who love God according to his purposes. But this means, first of all, that all things still actually happen to Christians. The city of God can still be assaulted. It also means that it doesn't give you a timeline for when those things are going to turn out for good. It just says all things will. It doesn't say will tomorrow, will today, will when you want them to. It says that all things will, but it doesn't say when. It's not telling you about the immediate and direct time. It's saying that all things work together for good for God's people. And that doesn't refer, most importantly, to our earthly comfort 
but to our conformity to Christ. The goal of all of Romans 8 isn't to say, you and I, because we know God, will be comfortable here and now. It does say that you will become Christ-like here and now. That's the goal of the whole of the Scriptures, is that God with us means that we become like God. That's the place where we're going. But being with God doesn't necessarily mean He prevents trouble. Rather, it means He is present with us in it. He does not prevent all troubles, but he is, it says, an ever-present help in Psalm 46.1 in times of trouble. He doesn't prevent, but he is present. That's the promise. He is there working for good even if you don't know it, if you don't see it, if you don't understand it. The word uh, trouble in verse 1, here's what it says, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The word trouble in verse 1 means experiencing something hostile, like some form of suffering or distress. And then verse 2 and 3 describe this in a pretty, pretty graphic uh, use your imagination. Take in the imagery that's given to us in verse 2 and 3. The powerful imagery that makes us imagine a worst-case scenario. It's possible that the sons of Korah mean for us to take the whole mountains collapsing into the sea, literally. Because back in the book of Numbers earlier, they actually watched an earthquake swallow up some members of their own family. So they literally saw an earthquake but I think they're using it not just literally, but metaphorically in the psalm, as most of the psalms use these metaphors. And what they're saying is, think of the most stable, especially for them, living in a place with many mountains. Think of the most stable physical structure you would see on a day-to-day basis. It's a mountain range, a majestic, huge, overwhelming mountain range. That's, the, that's something that it seems quite stable, right? Well, the ancient world also viewed the oceans as a place of great instability. Many people were afraid of the sea because it's this big, deep, dark, vast reality. And who knows what's in it? Who knows what's underneath those dark waters? And so what is the picture? The picture is the thing that is most stable in your life is collapsing into the thing that is most unstable in your life. That's the picture that we're given in Uh, verse 1 to 3. And they're looking around, the sons of Korah are looking around at their their world, and they're basically doing what the psychologists today call catastrophizing. I'm really good at catastrophizing. It's where you walk around constantly dreaming up what-if scenarios and how bad it could all go, right? Do some of you know what I'm talking about? The what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that occurs? What if that happens? Oh man, if that happens, and you're always trying to protect yourself. You're always trying to find a way to prevent the what ifs. That's what they're doing. They're saying, well, even if the, the mountains collapse into the sea or the oceans overwhelm everything, even if, what if? What if the worst case of my, uh, what if the worst nightmare happens? In verse uh, 6, they say, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. The word totter is the same as the word mountains be moved into the sea. It's another, it's the same word for, for like earthquake. So what he's saying is the, the kingdoms are quaking, the nations are raging. He's depicting everybody's coming against you in war. Nations are raging, kingdoms are shaking. Right? This is the picture. And he says, even then we shall not fear. But the thing is, what he's saying is, let's acknowledge that there's a lot of fear in these scenarios. 
the potential for strong, terrible fear in the greatest places of insecurity in our lives. Our lives are built on sources of stability, most of which we take for granted much of the time, right? Mental and physical health, our family, our marriage, our finances, our employment, these are all sources of stability. These are why government is trying, we are always seeking whatever you believe about government, whatever party you're a part of. Everybody wants to create stable structures to help, uh, help society rather than hinder it. And yet many of us have faced or will face one of these structures or several collapsing. Or the what-ifs of what if they could, what if they do, what if we're in a scenario where they seem threatened? One of my friends who lives on the East Coast uh, in Philadelphia, recently uh, his wife, he has a couple kids, and his wife said, you know, I'm actually not a Christian. I'm giving up the faith. I also don't love you. And she walked out. And he's been seeking counseling and been trying to, she'd come back though and then say, I don't know, maybe not. Oh, actually I'm leaving again. And then would leave again. This, kept, this has been going on for over a year. It's just been really messing with him, right? A few years ago, we had a student give a testimony from this stage, a senior who graduated and described uh, her childhood abuse. A place that's supposed to be stable was a place of great instability for her, and she was recognizing how it shaped all the current relationships in her life now. That what if, what if someone else is harming, out to harm me? I had a friend in grad school uh, who uh, also had a pretty tough family background in the ways that she would try to control some aspects of her life or the things she felt she could control was food, and she was anorexic. And I watched several times as she was near death from not eating. It was awful to watch. The sources of, of, of what if, when they become felt realities, or even just the potential can rock our stable foundation. We are looking at an entire generation who's dealing with anxiety and depression, right? Because for many of us, it's beyond just a personal thing. We're all feeling it. But it's partly in part because the stabilities around us are not so stable. We look at many of our situations and we recognize that if it hasn't happened yet, it could. What if? What if I lose my health? What if I experience heartbreak? What if my family falls apart? What if I can't find the best employment? What if... My financial status collapses. When I was a, a sophomore, I was still in Army ROTC, and in between my sophomore and junior year, I spent the summer at Fort Knox in Kentucky. And uh, if you were doing decently well, and I was doing decently well in the program, they would pair weaker members of the platoon with stronger members to help uh, teamwork, right? And so I was paired with somebody, and we went on a ruck march. We took our rifles. We went to the shooting range that day, and we were using live, live ammo, shooting down range. And it was for time, not for emptying a clip. And as we were, I went first. It was from a foxhole. You get in the foxhole. You shoot down range. You get up, you know, put your safety on, go back. Your partner shoots. And then, so my partner was shooting, and uh, I was counting the bullets going out of the clip. And Time was up, but she hadn't emptied the clip all the way. And once you start shooting, the first few are hard. It's harder to pull the trigger, but once you start shooting, it comes much more rapidly. It's like it's warmed up. It's ready to go. And uh, she uh, had just struggled a lot all summer, and she got up, 
still with her rifle, not in safety, turned around, and it's, her finger is still on the trigger. It's a hot weapon, and it's pointed straight at my chest, and I'm three feet away from her. And your life will flash before your eyes. Because I was like, what are you doing? And I froze. I just froze. I was paralyzed with fear. I thought everything's over. Except that in a split second, our drill sergeant, who had walked with us all summer, taught us all these things, ruckmarked with us, taught us how to shoot, he immediately went into action, grabbed the rifle, pointed to the ground, and threw her to the ground. He was like three times her size, right? She starts crying, and he starts going, what am I? Like just, he rips into her because this is not what you want to do is shoot your own people. And I just was like, that was the most terrifying and amazing thing that just happened all in three seconds. I mean, just watching the drill sergeant do what he did. And that I recognized, right, that, that he was there to teach us. He was there in present, but he was there to save my life. He was with us in everything. But the with us, did it, when it meant when we faced our greatest insecurity, he knew how to take action when I didn't. And Emmanuel, God with us, is, is there in our insecurities because he is our security. God who is with us. Listen to what Psalm 46 says about God. God is our refuge and strength, verse 1. A very present help in trouble, verse 7 and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 5, it says, God is with her. God will help her, the city of God. And in a conversation when I was talking to Rob, our, our pastor, our lead pastor, earlier this week saying, I don't know if I can preach. We were both sharing together about the what ifs in our lives, our current insecurities. We were sharing them with each other very openly and seeking to pray for each other. And Rob said that one day he was up early in the morning and uh, he was praying about all these what ifs, all these insecurities he was feeling about some things in their life and some things in my life. And he said, the Lord revealed to and reminded him that, that with him, what ifs become what is that when we're looking at the what ifs, God is calling us to say, would you look with me at what is? What is true? The what ifs could happen, but what is actually true for the people of God? What a great reflection that is of Psalm 46. This is exactly what the, so the sons of Korah are doing in the psalm. They've described in devastating detail our insecurities, the threats that shake our life to the ground. But the main message is still, even if the what-ifs happen and the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea and all that is dependable in your life comes crumbling down, even then God is with us. For the Christian, what-if is an opportunity to also remember what is. What-ifs might occur or they might not. We don't know. We don't know whether they do or don't happen. Sometimes they come true, but what is true will always be true for the people of God. And what is true of God, we learn, is that He is our refuge and our strength. He is our help and our fortress. And I want to spend a couple minutes just looking at each of those because those are powerful words when you see them for what they are. Emmanuel, God with us, is described as the most safe 
and secure being in the universe for those who know him. God is first our refuge and strength, our refuge and our fortress. These are two words about seeking a place, a shelter. Refuge means shelter from danger. So just as in uh, the late spring or the summertime around here, when thunderstorms crop up out of nowhere. And if you're outside, it's not just a light, misty rain like the Northwest. You're just going to get soaked for the rest of the day. So you're always seeking shelter. If you find, you see the rain coming, you run inside. Or when it's really cold in the winter here, you're trying to find shelter for warmth. It's that. God is our shelter. He is our refuge, is what it's saying. And to seek refuge stresses that we're admitting our need. We're admitting our helplessness. I need a place of safety because I am not safe and I cannot fix it on my own. Refuge was sought by soldiers who were seeking higher ground or a safe city when their side was being whooped. And the word fortress also implies an inaccessible height. The greatest fortresses in the ancient day, before you had planes that could fly over them, you had really high walls. The high walls is what kept you secure, inaccessible to those who were trying to break in. So God is this safe place, this fortress. This, he provides an inaccessible safety that those who are seeking to harm cannot overcome. God is, what it's saying, our defense. He's our protection. He's our security. Fleeing to him in our greatest insecurities is to find protection. It's saying your insecurities stand no chance against the walls that he can protect us with. But God's not only our fortress and our protection, he's also our fighter. He's a fighter for us. God, it says, is our strength and help. The word strength in verse 1 and all throughout the Bible is particularly associated with warriors. It's an essential attribute of God. Over and over again, we hear God is our strength. And another way to translate strength is just power. God is our power. The word help, it may seem like, well, yeah, help, like a parent helps uh, tie their daughter's shoe. It's not that kind of picture oftentimes in Scripture. The word help actually is a little more particular most of the time. It means military assistance. So we're talking like not just that he helps us with some things when we need it, we're talking God is in a fighter jet ready to be scrambled at any moment to provide when the ground troops are being overrun, he is there to bring air support immediately, right? He, and then it also says he's an ever-present help, not just a help sometimes, he's ever-present, always ready, well-proved to help us. It also says he's the Lord of hosts. You might think, oh, like he, he throws nice parties, he's the Lord of the butlers, like he's a good host. No, the word hosts is an older term that we don't use very much today like this, but it means warfare. He is the Lord of war. He is the Lord of warfare. All of this imagery is very much pointed throughout a theme that is true throughout the Bible, that God is a divine warrior. The Lord of hosts phrase is used over 285 times. So it's not just like, yeah, God fights for us some. God fights for his people over and over again. He is the Lord of war, the commander-in-chief who marshals all his power and resources to help his people in time of need. And you know what it says? He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, plural. Not just the Lord of Israel's army. He's the Lord of all the armies everywhere. He has utter power, control, and authority over all things. And this is great news for God's people because that means that he not only fights for us against our enemies, he also can command our enemies when he desires to. 
He can command our insecurities. God is our fortress. God is our fighter. He remains present with us in times of insecurity to protect us, defend us. He remains present with us in times of insecurity as a powerful warrior fighting on our behalf when we are powerless and broken and struggling. Well, what's the result of all this? What's the result? The psalm actually tells us, right, in verse 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. This, this isn't just a, a wishful thinking or a feeling, actually. Fear is a feeling. But what it's telling us is we will not fear, which, which is saying in our fear, we will take courage. Because we have a reason. It's not just a wishful thought. It's that we actually have a solid reason God is our warrior. God is our fortress. He's a fighter and a fortress. The solid fact on which our hope is based is that God can and does do these things. Therefore, we will not fear. We will take courage when all else threatens to collapse around us. We have courage. The Bible also puts it this way many, many times. We have courage to stand firm, to not lose heart, to not lose faith, to not lose hope. It's what Moses told the people of Israel when they're about to be destroyed by the Egyptians, who were the the Israelites, they had no weapons at all. The Egyptians had a full army, and they're backed up against the river with nowhere to go. And Moses says, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation the Lord will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. They were in a place of incredible insecurity, yet God in that moment was with them. He ends up swallowing them up in the river. He controls nature, so he ends up using the river as a weapon against those who were trying to destroy Israel. And what Moses says is, the fear and insecurity, the thing you see today, you'll never see again. Or in in, uh, Chronicles, there's a time where a massive, powerful army is going to crush these Israelites who have very little. And it says, thus the Lord says to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this massive army, for the battle is not yours, but is God's. Tomorrow go down against them, but you will not need to fight in the battle. Stand firm, hold your position, see that though the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now, here's the thing about it. Again, we talked about this at the very beginning, right? All things still happen to believers. And what are, even these things, they say, stand firm or hold your position or go down and face them. This is the difference. It doesn't, Christians don't get a, a get out of jail free card in a way. We don't get removed from the troubles of, the life, of this life. Rather, it says, stand in them. And God will work even then. That's the great power of God. That's the strength and protection of God. Whether he does it in the immediate moment when you most want or need it, or whether he does it in his own way, his own timing, the promise is you don't have to flee there. Flee to him. But fleeing to him doesn't mean you flee all of your most terrifying situations necessarily. Uh, Back in October, we had a storytelling event here on this stage, and six of our students shared times when they experienced a great reversal in their life, when something uh, turned around for them. And Jisoo Moon, who's here with us, she's graduating today, she had the guts to stand up here and to share her story about how she was diagnosed with cancer at age 19 and wondered, how did I come from Korea, start school here, end up in a hospital down in Indianapolis, not knowing what was going to happen to me? And she was sitting in this hospital that just 
She said, she's described it to me many times as being full of this fear, overwhelmed. And yet, friends started to show up. She eventually got out her, her Bible, was reading through, and just felt overwhelming, the sudden sense that whatever the outcome, God was with her. He would comfort her, even so that she could later comfort others. She eventually had a surgery and has been healed. God has healed her. He was her security in that moment. The work of God is that what you see today, at some point, you will never see again. What you see today that is most terrifying to you, at some point, you will never see it again. This is where the Bible is going with this whole God is with us and a warrior and a protector. He is the cry of the Bible, the heart of the Christian is that you are always seeing two things at the same time, not just one. Did you see in those verses, it's the same thing that is the answer the sons of Korah give us here. What Moses told the people, what Chronicles told them is say, go and stand in the place even that's most terrifying to you. But do you see there's another reality at work? And you know what the answer is? How do you get it? How do you get this security in your life? The psalm tells you there's only one thing for you to do. Verse 8, come, behold. That's it. Come, behold. When you and I are in the worst moments of our lives and we're saying, where is God? The Bible only gives you one answer with you. That's it. There is no other answer. Where is God? Where is he in these hard moments? With you. That's it. There's only one answer. And the thing that it, he tells us is there's nothing for you to do to make that happen. You don't have to go find him to be with him. He's already with you. Come behold. Come and see. Come and see. Come behold means position yourself to see what you can't see in your circumstance. Come behold, it says, the, but it says the works of the Lord. And what are the works of the Lord? It tells you in verse 9 and 10. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Wait a second, that sounds really bad. How does that, how does that help me? The word desolation is used throughout the Bible, not just to even depict some pretty devastating events. It's literally connected to God's judgment. When God brings desolation, it means God brings judgment against evil. That's what the word desolation means in the Bible. It's not just like a random natural disaster or an unlucky day. It is the pointed, targeted work of God to destroy what is horrifying. And in the psalm, in this describing the city of God about to be attacked by raging armies, it says in verse 9, he makes war to cease to the end, wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. All the weapons, all the things that could possibly stand against you, he breaks them. And this is where you start to realize, though, that God, being the Lord of armies, being the God Almighty, bigger than any one circumstance, is getting at something bigger than just the one war you're facing right now. He is, he says, makes wars, plural, to cease to the ends of the earth, not just your part of the earth, but to the ends of the earth. And you realize the psalm is taking us to something bigger than what we see in front of us. It's taking us to a God-level view of what God sees. He will bring desolation 
to the things that seem about to desolate us. Not just locally, not just personally, globally. God is with us. And this is how we come to Christmas. Because Jesus comes to the earth. And you know, when, when Jesus came, everyone was expecting him to be a political king. To be someone who would take up the sword. But instead he took up the cross. He took up the cross. It seemed that he should come and wipe out all the enemies. And instead, it looked like he was wiped out. He doesn't do what you would expect. This, all through the Old Testament, this divine warrior who comes to bring judgment against all that stands against us, our greatest insecurities. And you might think, if you read verse 10, if you've read this verse before, it's the most famous verse in this psalm. It says, be still and know that I am God, right? You might think, wait, you said the only thing we have to do is come and behold. Well, this says be still. Don't I need to like make myself quiet? I need to get, maybe I need to go on a spiritual retreat. I have to spend time in prayer. Yeah, all those things are great. But that is not the meaning of be still and know that I am God. Read the rest of the verse and remember that it's in the context of God judging wars, destroying all wars. There's a quote around it. It says, he breaks every instrument of war. Then it says, he quote says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. What's he saying? God isn't speaking to his people there. He's speaking to everything that stands against his people. And the great encouragement for us is that God says, be still, cancer. Be still, abuse. Be, be still, rage. Be still, war. Be still, fear. Be still, divorce. Be still, hatred. Stop your striving to control the lives of your people, of all these people. I say, cease and desist. I am God. You are not. I declare the final outcome. You don't. If you want to know the judgment of God, you actually have to look at Jesus. Because in Jesus, the great warrior comes to earth, and instead of taking up the sword, he takes up the cross, and on the cross, he appears to die in the weakest, most humiliating way. But when he dies, he took on our sin upon himself and crushed it to the ground. He took on Satan, who delighted to see God die, but God can't die, so he comes back, and Satan is also crushed to the ground. He takes on our suffering by suffering for us and crushes suffering to the ground. He dies, but and he rises. He crushes death to the ground. He kills death. Every great, great insecurity, because ultimately all of our smaller insecurities point to these bigger ones, right? We're afraid of cancer because we're really ultimately afraid of death. We're afraid of suffering because we're afraid of just enduring pain without end. And Jesus comes and says, be still. All that comes against you will be still. This is the message of Christmas, friends. What we've seen in Psalm 46, God is this warrior who comes to fight for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was forsaken, he was without his Father so that we would be with him forever. That is the message that he's come to give us. When Jesus died, an earthquake occurred, it says in Matthew. The whole earth around him shook. The earthquake happened to him rather than happening to us. The mountains fell into the sea for him so that it wouldn't happen ultimately for you. This is your king, friends. This is your God, God with you, Emmanuel. He says, come to me, find your life, because I say, be still sin, be still suffering, be still death, be still Satan. You cannot win here. I have warred against you, and I have won. And the way I have won is to bring peace rather than a sword, to bring forgiveness rather than horrible fighting. The way he fought was able to bring true peace. God is with us, friends. He's Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We pray that you would strengthen, you would show us that you are strengthened and equipped in a fortress, a fortifier against all that stands against us. Lord, we often want you to make us strong, but we pray that instead you would help us see that you are strong even when we are weak, even when we are faltering and failing when our life feels crushed to the ground, when we're facing upcoming things that feel like what-ifs, we pray you would help us see what is. For the people of God, you are for us. You are with us. We love you. We're amazed that you would do this on our behalf and in a way that's so unexpected. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into this earth and ending war, not taking up the sword, but taking up a cross on our behalf. We pray this all in your name. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion, but before we actually take communion together, uh, we're going to pray together. It's just Psalm 46, but we're going to pray it as a call and response. So I'd like to uh, pray with you. I'll read the leader part. You pray the all. And if, if this has resonated with your heart, wrestling with where things are in your life, but you also see the Lord with you, I invite you to pray Psalm 46 with us together, out loud if you'd like. God is our shelter and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid, even if the earth is shaken and mountains fall into the ocean depths, even if the seas roar and rage and the hills are shaken by the violence. There is a river that brings joy to the city of God, to the sacred house of the Most High. God is in that city, and it will never be destroyed. At early dawn, he will come to its aid. Nations are terrified. Kingdoms are shaken. God thunders, and the earth dissolves. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and see what the Lord has done. See what amazing things he has done on the earth. He stops wars all over the world. He breaks bows, destroys spears, and sets shields on fire. Stop fighting, he says, and know that I am God, supreme among the nations, supreme over the world. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge.